Hello, Texans, and welcome to Inside NRG Stadium here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio for the show that keeps you up to date with your Houston Texans. That's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer with you. It's Thursday night, game week, ready to rock. We have the General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle joining us this evening. And, John, eager to get back to it, I am sure. How are you doing? I love buys like everybody else, but I'm ready for some football. Is not if the buy had come when it was zero and three, that'd be one thing. But when your team you cover is hot and wins six in a row, you don't really want a week off. Although it sure is good for the team. Came at a great time, and the Texans will be in the best physical condition they've been in since the first game. I think a big question about this game is not just the matchup itself, but how the offense might be different. Do you expect any differences as Watson continues to get healthier? We have more distance from the chest injury. We have. Receivers coming back, well, receiver and Kiki QT. Demarius Thomas, a couple of weeks extra to learn the playbook. What do you think of how the offense might change, might be different at all, versus the last few games? I don't think it'll change at all. Bill O'Brien went to cutting back about 15 pass attempts a game for more runs. In the last three, when they haven't turned it over, they have run 35 times a game for 143 yards. And... um, He's not getting obliterated. And the fewer times he drops back, the better he'll be when he does drop back. Now, I think if they had to, like if the, say the Redskins are up by two touchdowns and they have to throw it all over the place, they will. But I don't know why you would get away from something that's been working. I agree with you on that. I mean, I think if they can run the ball, they will run the ball. They're going to try to run the ball. We all know this. The Redskins are actually statistically, yardage-wise, it looks pretty good against the run, not good at all against the pass. And when I just look at the numbers, it must be so tempting to just come out throwing the ball. But, you know, they always start with the ground game. That's just how it's going to begin. We'll see where it goes from there. What I would like to see Bill O'Brien do more of is throwing short passes on first down, four yards, five yards. That would be a good run instead of handing it off for one or two yards. And I saw a stat this week, Texans are second worst average per carry on first down, which doesn't surprise anybody that watches them, although – uh, I went over during the bye week for a column I did last week, every first down play in these last three games, and it was really pronounced in the second half of the Denver game when they had four negative plays on first down, so that's when fans got so upset. Redskins play the run great. Denver did not, but the Broncos put their game plan around stopping the run, and they did, 98 yards rushing. So the Re- I think it's going to come down. This one will not come down to the running games. I believe the Texans will shut down Adrian Peterson, and I think the Redskins will shut down Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue, and it's going to come down to Alex Smith, a Texans nemesis with a 4-1 record against him, and Deshaun Watson, whichever of the two quarterbacks plays the best. Well, you're going to Kansas City, Alex Smith. Now, 2005, the Texans faced Alex Smith in the Reggie Bush Bowl on New Year's Day when Smith was a quarterback, a rookie quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. I go back that far, that Alex Smith. And I brought this up with Bill O'Brien. I, I think a side note here, John, is that Smith was left for dead as a number one overall pick in San Francisco in the Singletary era. And then Harbaugh gets him going, gets his career started. Look at him now. He's still going after all these years. Traded him because he wanted to keep Colin Kaepernick and uh Andy Reid used him really well. Remember the game last year? They won 42 points despite Deshaun Watson's five touchdown passes. He threw 324 yards, no touchdowns. I mean, three touchdowns, no interceptions. 
he's always capable of doing that because he's so smart. The Texans know him very, very well. And J.J. Watt talked about him yesterday about always being worried about his feet. He doesn't look to run but can run. And the the key here is their offensive line is missing two tackles that are both hurt, Morgan Moses and Trent Williams. Their two guards are gone for the year. The center is the only one that's played. If the Texans cannot get after Alex Smith with an offensive line that's probably going to be the worst they go against all year, then something's wrong. But this defense is going to get after him because in the last five games, Mark, the defense has given up 15.6 points a game. That is strong stuff. Now, the thing that worries me, you talked about the feet with Alex Smith, the short passing game, the controlled passing game, getting the ball out fast, that does concern me a bit. As I think about those earlier games in this season, the three-game losing streak, and even early on in the winning streak when quarterbacks were having success with the short passing game, that's what Smith looks for. Tennessee was missing its top three tackles. Gabbert didn't hold the ball one time, and Smith is going to get rid of it. It's going to be maddening for people because they may not be able to get to him because he's going to get rid of it so fast. He'll dump it off to the tight ends, the running backs. He'll use every receiver. In short yardage, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's going to throw it down the field. So um, they've got to play well against him. I think they will. And uh, But I think the Redskins' defense, is, even though they've given up a lot of yards, gave up 501 yards and three points in Tampa, which I've never seen anything like that. Crazy. But, but Fitzy was throwing the ball all over the place and uh, out of necessity. So uh, I think this is going to be close, and I think it's going to be low scoring like most Texans games other than Miami. I mean, the 500 yards and three points is just mind-boggling, really. <laughs> Shows you're not too good in the red zone. Yeah, exactly. The turnovers, the missed field goals, all of it for Tampa Bay, and the Redskins just sort of engineered a victory. Now, sidebar, another one. Here on the Redskins, John, this is a proud franchise. We all know what they did in the Gibbs era, and I think it's very notable that Gibbs won Super Bowls with three different starting quarterbacks and you know, you look at the way he went about his business. It was so monumentally successful. And maybe they're the forgotten team of that era because the San Francisco 49ers were so good. The Giants won a couple of Super Bowls. We don't talk about the Redskins as much, maybe. But in D.C., they have not had that kind of winner since the early 90s. What do you make of the state of the franchise right now? I'll tell you a couple of Redskins stories. My wife, Carol, grew up in Silver Spring, just a diehard Redskins fan. The old George Allen over the hill gang. Loved Joe Gibbs. And uh, and so um, Sonny Jergeson, all those guys. And uh, when the Redskins played here in 88 in the first game, we had not married yet. We were dating. And so I had a deal that if the Redskins won, I had to sing Hail to the Redskins on my talk show that night on KTRH. And so uh, I can't say what I got if I won. but <laughs> um, And the Oilers just beat them like a drum. So I didn't have to do it, but I remembered the words. And then uh, later, I think it was 91, Redskins run beaten. Oilers had one loss. It was a huge midseason game. The Oilers had a kicker. Ian Halfield missed a short field goal. And I got my in-laws and my wife tickets, and they, could get, they, they were covered up. Their faces were covered up. I saw them because they were like in the second row. They couldn't watch that field goal. And then, of yeah. course, they knew from the roar of the crowd. And uh, so – I've and I've been there. I went to old RFK. I've been to FedEx Field, and and it's amazing to me what's going on there right now. 
that even though they're winning, they're not selling out. They have thousands of empty seats. Josh Norman ripped the fans for booing them. DJ Swearinger seconded in on Twitter, and uh, that had been for the talk shows all week. That's what they're talking about. I'm told that they don't. If the Texans have a lot of fans up there, they're going to be able to be heard because there's going wow. to be so many empty seats. And I'm thinking, what do you want? you got a 6-3 team. Two-game lead in the NFC East with two big NFC East games coming up after the Texans. And you'd think they'd be out supporting them, but it's like they hold it against them because they're not the Joe Gibbs Redskins. One time my in-laws were here and I was gone to work and I came back. And I walk up to the door, and I see my wife and my in-laws are all on the phone in the den. And I think, oh, my goodness, somebody died. And I open the door, and I said, what happened? Joe Gibbs is back. Oh, yeah. Gibbs had announced he was coming back, which was a disaster. But uh, you can't live in the past. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. You cannot live in the past. You're never going to be able, like there will never be another love you blue here. Texans can win a Super Bowl. They can win five Super Bowls, but they're never going to be another Love You Blue, just like there's never going to be another Hogs or Joe Gibbs. And so you just got to take what you got. And right now we got a game between two first-place teams that have a chance to win their divisions. Uh, I, I find it so interesting what's happening between them and their fans and the difficulty in selling out that stadium. Now, it went to 90000 at one point. And then it would drop way back. It was the first. I remember when they first opened it, and I was covering the NFL, and I went there. You know, it was it was great. It was grand. You know, up high, you could see the Washington Monument. There's a lot of people better, like my wife, that they're not in the district. Right. You know, they grew up at RFK. They want it somewhere downtown. And it looks like it's kind of in disrepair. It's almost like they're planning on going somewhere. But also a lot of the booing and disappointment is because they don't like the Redskins over the last 20 years with Dan Snyder. Yeah, he at first he brought in all those free agents, and then he would fire a coach every week, and Marty Schottenheimer went 8-8, eight and eight and he fired him after an 8-8 eight eight season. One thing after another with that franchise, North Turner not going out very well, although he did go to a playoff. He had one playoff appearance, I believe. Jay Gruden's had a playoff appearance with Kirk Cousins, and they lost yeah. their one game and haven't been back. But this is their best chance with Alex Smith, and people are just not digging it. All right, one other note about RFK, because I've never broadcast a game there, and I wish I did, because that place on television, it it would shake. It was so magical to see it shake. Now, probably not when you're there, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, is this thing coming down? But that had a certain quality about it that was amazing. Yeah, if you it, hope my wife's not listening, it was a dump. It was a dump and a half. It had a lot of history. Sometimes you know, the dumps the, are great places. But the Oakland Alameda Coliseum has history, and it's yeah. the biggest dump in the NFL. Maybe FedEx Field is now. I haven't been there since the Texans but, but beat Oakland, them with Alameda, Andre Johnson. Oakland has no charm, no charm at all. RFK probably had charm. I've never been there, I'm guessing. Orange Bowl, I've been there a few times. That had charm, and that's a dump. Right? So some places are dumps, but they have charm. Anyway, uh, let's, let's get back to this. The NFC East. Yes, the Redskins lead it, but who's their biggest threat? I don't think the Cowboys are done. I think they still have a chance. They still have a pulse here after what they did the other night. I believe that this thing is far from settled in the East. I agree, but I think the Cowboys are going to lose at Atlanta. The Eagles are going to lose at New Orleans. And if the Redskins win, they're going to have a three-game lead going into games against the Cowboys and Redskins. Fact is, I mean, Cowboys and Eagles, 
I'm stunned at Dallas. Thought sure Dallas would beat Tennessee, get beat by 14. Go to Philly and lose, they win. And as long as they keep feeding Ezekiel Elliott, which they didn't do against the Titans and they did against the Eagles, they got a chance to win. But that division is bad. only thing we know is the Giants are not going to win. All right, we'll get back to the around the league stuff in just a few moments here. Player returning or possibly returning for the Texans, because we won't know it until we see it for sure, who are you most excited about seeing coming back? Well, Jonathan Joseph, because he'd been making a lot of big plays. Aaron Colvin wasn't playing all that well when he went down, and he was the big free agent signing who played great in Jacksonville. So he's supposed to be back. Kiki QT, I think he'll be back. He told us this week, you know, he was never hurt at Tech. Now he's been out twice with a hamstring. You hope he can stay healthy the rest of the season because he knows how to work the middle of the field. The defense has to worry about him getting the ball on on handoffs, tosses, all kind of th- things. And and uh, so th- those three, I don't think Zach Cunningham will be back till the Tennessee game. But if they don't suffer any more big injuries, this team is, is going to be healthier than many getting ready for that crunch drive after Thanksgiving. And uh, Luke Richardson and his staff who came in from Denver, as well as all the money the McNairs have spent to redo things around here to make it the way they wanted. you got to think, especially based on last season when they were decimated by injuries, that all of that is starting to pay off. I think if they can somehow get Cunningham and Cole back for the final, let's say, four, three or four games of the regular season and into the postseason, and let's hope they get there, I think that'd be huge for this team. Well, Cunningham, he'll be back for sure. Yeah, he'll be back. Bill O'Brien said guys. Cole maybe. You know, Cole had a knee surgery, still wearing a thing on his knee. Also had wrist surgery, still wearing a thing on his wrist. And so I, I don't care if if he has to be activated with two games left and have him for the playoffs. That gives you three inside linebackers like you begin the year with, and uh, that would – surely help because right now you know you got it you're you're running the ball a lot when the weather's bad and you can't have enough good run stuffers and uh, those are the three Texans three best John I know you do a lot of these chats and everything and the Deontay Foreman question has come up for you so many times I'm sure it comes up for us every week what do you make of the situation as he's been cleared to practice he's in that 21 day window right now before he can possibly come off pup I don't think they would have uh, opened the 21-day window if they didn't think he was going to come back pretty soon. If, if he needs 21 days to be ready, something's wrong. I, so I expect him to play uh, against Tennessee in the Monday night game. Mm-hmm. They have an extra day of practice. That's the big game. So you'd have a fresh set of legs going along with Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue for a team that likes to run the ball. Right now the Texans are third in the NFL in average runs per game right behind Seattle and New Orleans. And uh, so I think he's coming at just the right time if, indeed, he's in good shape. As Bill O'Brien pointed out, he hasn't run one time since getting hurt a year ago, November 19th. Is it the 19th against uh, Arizona? And Bill keeps talking about shape. I don't know if he worked as hard as he should have the whole time on getting in shape, but right now he says he's ready to go, and that would be a boon to the running game. John, Indianapolis will host Tennessee this week, and Andrew Luck has never lost to the Tennessee 9-0. That's amazing, that stat. And Mike Vrabel has been hammering that home with his defense, which has given up fewer points 
a game than any team in the league, 16.9. Keep a, people keep talking about that, which makes this 15.6 in the last five games even more impressive that the Texans have given up. Uh, I'm not picking against Luck at home. He has, in their three-game winning streak, he has 10 touchdowns, one interception, hadn't been sacked in four games, only been sacked 10 times. His team's starting to get healthy. They've run the ball better, not against Jacksonville, but the two previous games. And it's going to be Luck versus the Titans' defense. It's going to be a great game to watch, and I think the Colts will win. Your level of surprise that Tennessee knocked off the Patriots, especially the way they did it. The only thing that shocked me more over the weekend was Buffalo with Matt Barkley going to the Jets and blowing out the Jets. That was unbelievable. That was unbelievable. This one was shocking because if they beat them on a field goal at the end, yeah, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But just physically beating them up on both sides of the ball by 24 points, I've never seen the Patriots look more discombobulated, which is a credit to Vrabel and his coaches, but also the players for carrying out the plan. And uh, now everybody's ready to write off Brady's too old. We'll see. I'm Mm kind of doubting he's not. I think he just had a bad game. Had a bad game, tough place to play, but it's interesting how two AFC South teams, the Jags and the Titans, at home, but they were able to rough up New England the way they did, physically, like you said. They've also lost to Detroit. Yeah. Three three losses all on the road, which just makes you know you cannot play in Gillette Stadium in January, even though you were pulling for the Patriots over the Titans, which you should not have been. You know, talking about all that Redskins stuff in the last segment with the Hogs and that whole era, and then you see what the lack of success is now and the way the fans react, I'll be really curious to see what that next era of Patriot football is like. I know they have great ownership and everything, and you know maybe Belichick coaches another 20 years. Who knows? But there's no way it's going to be as easy without Brady. Eventually, he will have to retire. I would hate to be the guy that comes in there to replace Brady, and I'd hate to be the guy who replaced Belichick. Most people think it's going to be Josh McDaniels. Well, talk to um, anybody playing quarterback for the Miami Dolphins because Osweiler, Tannehill, Jay Fiedler, I mean, go back. They have not found a replacement for Dan Marino since he left in 1999. Although, when you talk to Brian Gain, he says nice things about Chad Pennington. They just got that last bit of juice out of Chad Pennington in that year where Brady got hurt, the Dolphins win the division, and all was looking pretty good for at least a season in 2008. And Miami's going to be one of the teams looking for a quarterback this offseason, like yeah. Jacksonville and some others. Like some others, absolutely. There's no doubt about Jacksonville, right? The Blake Bortles thing, even though he got extended, that cannot be. And he played really well in this last game, but they still got beat by the Colts. Really, yeah. they had a chance they – kick a tying field goal and send it in overtime mm-hmm. and her call was reversed in new york that i thought what they would say was inconclusive but uh that one they couldn't blame on him their defense in jacksonville has not gotten a quarterback has not forced the turnovers and has not been as dominant statistically it's still good but it hasn't played anywhere near as is they're not as physical or dominant as they were last season. So help the AFC South or the Texans fans specifically out here, John, because the Jaguars will play the Steelers. Do you root for the Jags in this game? Because you're thinking maybe the Texans get on a big tear here and they definitely first round by definitely definitely root for the Jaguars over the Steelers. Texans are trying to get a bye. Mm-hmm. If the Texans win this game at Washington, and I know that Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Cleveland are all better, but they are at Energy Stadium, and they could win those. Then the Jets, 
toughest one might be at the Eagles, unless the Eagles are out of it. But you definitely want the teams in front of you because they control their destiny in AFC South. They need they they can't be tied with the Patriots because of the tiebreaker, and that half game, the tie that Frank Reich passed up, that Mike Tomlin has could get them sneak. They could sneak into the a bye because of the tie. Wow. Okay, let's do this now. Packers at Seahawks tonight. These two teams not enjoying great seasons, but great brand names, good quarterbacks playing football. Obviously, you know, great quarterbacks when you talk about Rodgers and really good with Russell Wilson. What do you think tonight? Uh, Green Bay hasn't won on the road, so I'm going with Seattle. Okay, Bengals at Ravens. I don't know what to make of Cincinnati. I mean, what was that last week? And the Ravens, my gosh, who's going to play quarterback? In the last three games, I believe I figured that the Bengals are giving up for almost 44 points a game. They're one and two in those games. They fired Terrell Austin, their defensive coordinator, whose name's been bandied about for head coaching jobs for years in Detroit, and Marvin Lewis has taken over the defense. He can't do any worse. Now, talking about Flacco's might not play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar Jackson didn't practice. He didn't practice because of his stomach flu. Mm-hmm. And RG3 was the quarterback who was taking all the snaps at practice. So, uh, but their defense is still good. I saw a stat today on NFL ESPN matchup. Texans are tied for second with the Ravens for fewest yards allowed in nickel per play in nickel defense. Jeez, that's breaking it down. The Falcons hosting the Cowboys. Atlanta. And- all right, so Atlanta had a bad day at Cleveland. They sure did. They'd won three in a row. They'd go up there and stink it up. Cowboys had been killed by Tennessee at home, then they went at Philly. But I don't see the Cowboys winning two road games in a row. Okay, let's talk about the Broncos and the L.A. Chargers. I said it right. The L.A. Chargers at home, question mark. I think there will be a lot of Denver fans there because they probably booked their tickets a long time ago, but Denver very much out of it. Well, not completely, but yeah. Yeah, they're out of it. They're out of it. Um the Chargers, like people talk about Washington and Houston, they haven't beaten anybody. Look at the Chargers' schedule. The only team they've beaten that has a winning record right now is Tennessee. They beat them by one. Now I'm not. You know, Philip Rivers is playing great, mm-hmm. and I'm picking the Chargers. But you think they're a little inflated? I do, and I think they're going to definitely be one of the wild cards. And if I'm the Texans, did they? When did they lose to them? Two years ago, when Philip Rivers came in here. Two years ago, and the Texans were favored, and he just carved them up. I would not want to play a Philip Rivers team in the playoffs. That was a short week after the Mexico City game. Not that I'm making excuses, but the Chargers did look good that day. The Raiders at the Cardinals. Okay, we don't need to talk about that. No, the, no, no. The two bad teams. Raiders are going to win a second game at some point. It's so funny. Derek Carr's gone like three or four games without an interception, and they've lost them all. Cardinals got Josh Rosen. They're at home. They're terrible, too. I'm going to take them just because they're at home. I'm blown away about Derek Carr. Two years ago, everybody was so high Highest on him. Highest quarterback in football. Yeah, and you look at it, the day that the Texans lost to the Raiders in Mexico City, Carr's stock could not have been much higher. I mean, he looked so tremendous in that game. Looked like he was carrying his team. They all fed off his energy. They needed scores. He got them quickly for them. And now look at that. He should beg for a new zip code. They're going to take a quarterback that Gruden wants, that Gruden wants to develop. So go ahead and trade Carr before the draft for a one or whatever you can get for him and move on. Eagles at the Saints, you already picked the Saints. In this oh, one. yeah. Yeah, no doubt. 
Vikings at the Bears. I got the Vikings on the road. That's a tough one. The Bears' defense has been playing great. Trubisky's been up and down, but, boy, when he's up, he's really good. Uh, I'm going with Chicago. Um, Minnesota's defense has played played great in the last game. They're coming off a bye, but I'm not picking against the Bears at Sol- the Bears at Soldier Field. All right, so the Chiefs and Rams will get together in L.A. How big of a problem is this for the NFL that the Mex- Mexico City game does not go down? Just eggs Benedict all over their face. And how in the world they could have a crew down there and not have it in the contract that you can't have certain events on that stadium for like say two or three weeks to make mm-hmm. sure the grass is okay they're embarrassed i'm surprised we haven't seen more out of mexico with people suing fans suing down there because they paid no telling what for inflated tickets fans here suing unless because they're i know united said they're not charging a change fee well that's so nice of them and uh <laughs> but you know there's going to be fans that are attorneys are going to file class action lawsuits. Well, what about just second, so secondary embarrassing. market? Secondary market tickets. That's how how does that point. work? The NFL should have to subsidize everybody that lost money because of the NFL's ineptness of not making sure that stadium was taken care of before they played there. That was John McClain saying that, not me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that, that was me saying that. That Thank stadium you. is a dump anyway. It I is. thought it was terrible. And it's been renovated four times since the first time I went there with Oilers and Cowboys. They really like could use a new one. That stadium is a dump. But you know what? It was one of those stadiums. I'm in there, and I'm thinking, and by the way, I know that there are nitpickers out there who would say, the plural of stadium is stadia. Estadio Azteca. Yeah, please with the proper Latin terminology. Anyway, the uh, I, I kind of liked it because of the history of it. And uh, you know what the vibe I got? When I was down there, it was one of Aloha Stadium. You know, old place that's way past its prime. A lot of stuff has happened in there that you remember, but my gosh. And stuff that you don't even know about because they play all these football matches in there that are, I'm sure. Well, that's because you went on a team bus and your bus driver knew where to go. Mine had no clue where to go. I'm not so sure. It was a disaster. And when I went down there the first time, there were people living in the parking lots in cardboard boxes from refrigerators and stuff and machine gun guards everywhere as far as a low stadium which i've been to many times when you're sitting in that stadium you're they, you're not calling it a dump and you're looking around and you see mountains and you see ocean and you see you see mm-hmm. uh pearl harbor in the arizona it's a little different yeah, it is a little different. John, what do you have going on in the Houston Chronicle? I'm writing a column tomorrow about Demarius Thomas, and he's hanging out with Deshaun Watson at his house to help him learn the offense as he used to go and hang out with Peyton Manning at his house and how much more comfortable he feels now. And uh, Aaron Wilson's writing about Jadeveon Clowney for tomorrow, and then Aaron's got a big story Sunday on Deshaun Watson in this game. and. Thank you very much, as always. Well, how many catches for Thomas on Sunday? What do you think? I'm going to say, because they're not going to throw it a lot unless mm-hmm. they're behind, so I'll say four. I think four is a good number. I think they'll spread out the four. It won't be like, you know, he had two on the opening drive last time and then the one on the next drive, and that was it for him for the well, rest of the three day. three-fourths of the passes are going to DeAndre Hopkins, as they should. They should. I'm, I'm interested in this game. Tyler Irvin getting cut, I was surprised because he was reliable. He didn't fumble. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the punt, punt returner and kickoff returner? And are they going to be reliable? 
You know what the Redskins fans and media, you know what they remember? Andre Johnson, Sonny Liston, you know, the Reed Doty play. That was a great catch in the back of the end zone for Matt Schaub. And I remember Shanahan, Kyle and Mike coming into the dressing room to congratulate Gary Kubiak and the players. That's very, very good. That's a nice memory. John, thank you. Thank you, Mark. We're right across the hall from the locker room and down the hall from a staircase that goes to the offices and coming down from those offices. Jamie Roots, <laughs> the president of your Houston Texans, joining us right now. And we don't have you on all the time, but it's a pleasure, sir. Oh, gosh, you. it's great to be with you, Mark. Thanks for what you do to keep the uh, keep the fans informed. Keeping the fires burning, and we need <laughs> them now because it's chilly out. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like football. In fact, you know, Turkey Bowl uh, yeah. with Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, it's Turkey Bowl 10. So Christopher and Caroline are going to bring their friends over, oh, and we'll really? do it again. Yeah, You're it's do awesome. That. Yeah, it's great. It's a great tradition for our family. Of course, by next week it'll be like eighty degrees or something. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. We've sweated through it before. It's Houston. It changes <laughs> very quickly. All right. So now this is interesting because tonight Covenant House is having a special event, and I wanted to get to this first because you're speaking there. And I never thought I'd say this, but you're sleeping there. <laughs> what is happening with Covenant House, the Texas sleepout? Well, first of all, let me tell you about Covenant House. And it's really focused on kids that are 18 to 24 that are experiencing homelessness. It's kind of that area in between. You're no longer a child, but you're not quite in the adult world. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, there's a number of, of our Houstonians that get, you know, get caught in that in that trap. And so they're they're homeless. They have nowhere to go. And so the Covenant House provides that resource, brings the kids in, helps to get them the, you know, finishing education that they need and hopefully in, into the work world and, you know, back in and productive and, and awesome Houstonians, potentially future leaders. And so Covenant House each year has a sleep out and it's a group of business executives. This year is going to set a record. I don't know exactly how many, but it's approaching 100 that'll be sleeping out with me and will raise a record amount of. Of, uh, a, a amount of money this year, it's you know it'll be approaching seven hundred thousand dollars. That'll go go to a lot of good for kids. And you know, for me, the Covenant House is, is as a special place because my son's seventeen, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Right? He's he's almost in that place where those kids are experiencing homelessness. They're experiencing desperation, and the Covenant House is uh, is there for them. That is an incredible story, right there. Really, of these kids that need this kind of help. Yeah, and. It- you're actually going to sleep there, though. I mean, this this is to draw attention to this important cause. You, among others, will be there. Yeah, exactly. We want to we want to shine a bright spotlight on this because it's it's a place that doesn't get a lot of attention. But if we can save these kids from uh, you know a life of homelessness, they get out of the uh, safety net. And they become really productive members of our society. You know, uh, there's a quote from uh, from Pope John the 22nd. Concern yourself not with what you tried and failed in, but what is still possible for you to do. And the Covenant House is really all about possibilities realized that wouldn't have been otherwise uh, uh, seen. And so uh, it's just a great honor to be their uh, chairperson for this year. And I'm so proud to see so many business leaders coming out and, and making a difference. You're speaking at the vigil portion of the event. Will that quote make the speech? It might. It might. Okay. I've got a few other. You know, the one that will is from Gandhi, and I, I love this, is the true measure of a society is how we treat the most vulnerable mm. among us. And think of it, a uh, you know a 20-year-old kid out on the street, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from, not having any choice. Oh, yeah. You know, tonight I have a choice. All I right. can go to Covenant House and I can sleep out. 
They don't have a choice. It's what's been thrust upon them. And so Covenant House is there to help help rescue them. We can't get all of them, but you know the starfish story. You know, we're going to save that one and then right. the next one. We can't get them all, but we're going to do as many as we can. And with generous supporters and sponsors that are getting behind this event, there's a lot more that we can do in the coming years ahead. What Very well said. Now, speaking of what's important, what's important to the community and the country and the world maybe – our service members, our servicemen and women, and we salute them this month in the National Football League, and the Texans haven't played a home game yeah. in a month or so. But the next one is Monday Night Football, a week from Monday against the Tennessee Titans, and that's salute to service. It's a very special day at the stadium. Yeah, well, it's a very big game for us, Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. our rival in the AFC South. I mean, certainly a team that's on the rise. Saw them last weekend. All of us got a chance to see them in the doors. Our bye week. But I tell you, we, we, we've had a military salute-related event Gosh, since the inception of the franchise, I think it was started here. And uh, that that week, there's always a buzz in this building because we are so proud of those and just so grateful for those uh, folks in uniform across the planet that are allowing us to live the great lives that we do. And so uh, annually, this is our chance to as many as we can, whether it's me as a you know a business person or Bill O'Brien or, or Brian Gain or our football players, to personally tell them thank you. And that we'll never forget. We'll never forget the service that they've provided that allows us to do what we do. Of course, we do it every game as well. And it's such right. a well-received portion of the game experience. I mean, just a chance to hold up because this is such a patriotic community. We realize that there are others making sacrifices for us. Nobody does it alone and nobody does it more than our men and women in uniform across the globe. Well, a great week to have all the events Thanksgiving week. I know it's kind of different. I don't think we've done it during Thanksgiving week before, but it works out pretty well that way. It does. It does. And and so we, I mean, it's very personal to us. Mm-hmm. It certainly was very personal to Bob and continues to be and to his family. Sure. He's very patriotic and, and that filters all throughout the organization. And so it's, it's an honor. Certainly we work our tails off to make sure that the experiences we deliver for our men and women in, in uniform are are exceptional, and this weekend we'll be bringing a group of uh, uh, military members up to see us play oh, in cool. Washington, uh, see their Redskins, and so that's how we plan to kick off our salute to uh, salute to service week. It's unique to have a three-game homestand. That's what's coming up after this Washington game. Yeah, and it's by, just kind u- of a, a by unique, do you mean tiring? <laughs> yeah, maybe for a lot of people have to work all these. You know, people don't realize the amount of work that goes into putting together one football game, yeah. one big event, and you have three of these in a row. Yeah, well, it's going to be. It's great. It's it's what we do. It's a it's it's just a, such an important institution within our community, and we are mm-hmm. uh, blessed to have be in the privileged position to to put it on. And so that's why everybody works with such passion because we know how. Uh, pa- how passionately our fans feel about the Houston Texans and Houston Texans football. While we're on the topic here, I get a lot of questions about how the schedule works out the way it does. This year it's a little different because you had back-to-back road games to start the season. You have this three-game homestand late in the season. I know it's been a month between home games, but that that also factors in the bye. But how much input does the organization have into putting together the schedule? There are a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, they're baseline uh, pieces of information that we provide about uh, uh, stadium availabilities for all the stadiums across the National Football League. And as you know, there's already a format of who plays who, and you, you know who who's on the who's home and who's on the road, but you don't know when. And so the league puts all of that information into their computer and runs a number of, of iterations, probably thousands of, of iterations of schedules, and have to 
work in uh, broadcasting requirements and others. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they come out with what the schedule is. And, you know, you, you can't control it, so you don't worry about it. You just go forward and play the, the teams that are on your schedule one at a time. Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. That's coming up before you know it. We're going to know the matchup in a few weeks. I'm excited for it. You know, yeah. I mean, this has become one of the uh, uh, one of the best attended bowl games in America. I think we're fourth among all bowls, including the uh, you know the uh, the New Year's Six. So it's a point of pride for the city of Houston. And anytime you bring these regionally relevant teams, Big Twelve, SEC, and I, we're always running the traps on who could it be, who could it be. But uh-huh. uh, at the end of the day, it uh, it it's, it seemed to have fallen our way uh, since we've been this been in this Big Twelve. SEC matchup so we expect a you know two great football teams squaring off Houston has embraced this game in a huge way our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors see this as a great way for them to give back in terms of the economic impact which is significant quality of life marketing our community and then of course to Pelton Children's Centers we've raised well over a million dollars since we've been doing the bowl game and we'll just keep building upon it so uh, it's a it's a great Houston institution around the holidays and uh, encourage all of our football fans to get out and see it. Another home game, if you will. Well, a game here at NRG Stadium, anyway, to think about. All right, one more for you, Jamie, because the Taste of the Texans just happened last week, and I'm still full. Uh, it's a great event, and I mean, outstanding cause and so much fun. It might be my favorite event, really, when when it all boils down to it, because it's food, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah well, you can't we, go wrong. That was our tenth annual, and mm-hmm. our friends at Cisco, you know, the food provider who actually is our food provider here at NRG Stadium, and have helped us take it up to a you know a world class level in terms of sports performance. They've been wonderful partners. They're the presenting sponsor of this event. Uh, friends at Kroger. And uh, Marlene Stewart, who's the head of Kroger here in this region, she was our chairperson this year, and we crushed our expectations, uh, uh, $350,000 plus. And if you add it up over the time that we've been doing it, it's well over $2 million that has gone back to our community to support uh, the Methodist Foundation and the great work they do, whether that's around uh, youth and diabetes and, or around concussions and, and, of course, the Houston Food Bank which, uh, I mean, we've got folks who go hungry in our community, and so they're making a difference in that regard. And so our fans came out, our players did a wonderful job engaging with them. It's a perennially sold-out event, and uh, the, the 10th was far and away the best. Jamie, thanks a lot for joining us, and good luck tonight with Covenant House. We'll be thinking about you. Yeah, say a prayer. Certainly will. Hey, calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texans football to the classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders how to tackle math in the classroom. You go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Presented by ConocoPhillips. Okay, now time for wrist injury info because these happen to a lot of people. And it's Houston Methodist Minutes with Dr. Jamie Alexander from Houston Methodist Clear Lake Hospital hospital doctor how are you good how are you doing well let's talk about wrist injuries and i gotta think this is not just athletes i mean a lot of people get wrist injuries because they're trying to break their fall right is that the most common cause of a wrist injury in all of humanity if you will yeah usually it's when someone falls on an outstretched hand and they'll injure their wrist so what are we looking at here what are the types of injuries because obviously there's a fracture but there are a lot of different bones involved so what are we looking at most often Well, you know, the wrist is actually composed of eight small bones and two ends of of bigger bones, the radius and the ulna. So you can injure those with fractures, but you can also have sprains and strains of the wrist as well as tendonitis of the wrist. 
Is there a way to know right away, or is it the kind of thing where you have to get an x-rayed? Sometimes when someone injures their wrist, you'll start to see some swelling, pain, some difficulty with them moving their wrist. Um, and that's sometimes an indication that something's going on or they've injured it. I've broken fingers where you don't have to get them set. Now, you probably always have to get the wrist set or not. Tell me what happens here, because with these eight small bones, I would imagine there's a whole lot that can go wrong. Yeah, there are. And, you know, it kind of depends if you're if you're dealing with those eight small bones or the radius and the ulnar, which are also part of the wrist. Um, if they are they can kind of be categorized as whether they're stable, unstable, are they displaced fractures, non-displaced fractures. And based on that, will kind of depend on what kind of treatment we do. What about when tendonitis comes into play? How is that caused? Tendons actually connect the muscles to the bones. And so that allows the tendons to move smoothly. However, it doesn't really allow for very much expansion. So when you overuse your, your tendons, um, there's just not enough room for those tendons to do the job that it needs to do. And so they can get irritated, they can get inflamed. Um, and so we just kind of have to treat it with anti-inflammatory medications, splinting, sometimes even steroid shots to kind of bring down that inflammation and hopefully help the symptoms of the patient. Besides not falling, what's a good method of prevention for wrist injuries? Is there anything? Of course, there always is. The best practice is actually to prevent you can't prevent fractures, but the best practice is having good nutrition and keeping your exercise regimen going on is always a good idea. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. You have a good day. Dr. Jamie Alexander of Houston Methodist Clear Lake Hospital. Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine provides expert care and advanced technology to help athletes at all levels return to peak performance. Log on to HoustonMethodist.org slash game on for more information about their customized treatment plans from initial assessment to rehabilitation and recovery. The official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you, Jamie Roots. Thank you, John McClain. And thank you for listening. John Harris back tomorrow night at 6. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!